All right, here we go. Worthy living this morning. We are in 1 Thessalonians, called to His kingdom and His glory. Our key verse that I'm going to be using for several weeks is 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 12. I'm going to reference it, and then we're moving on to our text today. He says, We pleaded with you, encouraged you, and urged you to live your lives in a way that God would consider worthy. For he called you to share in his kingdom and his glory. I just love that we are, we're not called to a mundane life here and forever. We are called to participate in God's kingdom and participate in God's glory. Jesus purchased eternal life for you and me with his death and with his resurrection. We must be careful that we do not take our salvation for granted, but that we live worthy lives of Christ's life that's in us, right? So, uh, last week we had Paul, Silas, and Timothy. They prayerfully gave thanks to God for the God-fearers in Thessalonica. I like that word, God-fearers. Uh, they are grateful for the faithful work, the loving deeds, and the enduring hope that the people at Thessalonica, the church people at Thessalonica have. All of these are actions and attitudes that you and I are fully capable of demonstrating because of the life of Christ in us. Amen? Good. We're all together. I'm going to read last week's text just to get us to today's text. It's only three verses, so, so here we go. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. We're going to start in verse, uh, verse 1 of chapter 1, but then I'm going to actually start preaching from verse 4. So we're just headed that direction, okay? This letter is from Paul, Silas, and Timothy. Is everybody there? I had that feeling like I left you for a second, like we're lost. I didn't hear any pages turning, so either there's fewer Bibles and more digital devices or you're not with me. So this letter is from Paul, Silas, and Timothy. We always attribute it simply to Paul, but all three of them were involved in it. We're writing to the church at Thessalonica, to you who belong to God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a lot, isn't it? I know I already preached this text, so leave it alone, Brent, just keep going. I like the idea of belonging to God the Father. May God give you grace and peace. Verse 2, we always thank God for all of you and pray for you constantly. As we pray to our God and Father about you, we think of your faithful work, your loving deeds, and the enduring hope that you have because of our Lord Jesus Christ. So this morning as we go towards uh, verse 4, we're going to title this, A Life worth imitating. Hopefully you have a bulletin and you see that there's a place for you to take notes. The reason for that is I'm hoping that you'll actually write some things down and remember something from Sunday morning. I want you to learn something. Is that okay? <laughs> you tell some people like, I am not writing. If you give me notes and a pen, I'm not writing anything else. Uh, it's perfectly fine. Whatever makes your socks go up and down. It's only God's word. No need to write it down and get all wound up about it. With sarcasm there for the three people that got it. All right, here we go. A life worth imitating. A sermon worth taking notes on. <laughs> Number one, here we go. What you know. Now, this part of the text is Paul writing to the church at Thessalonica to assure them. So if you wanted in your notes, you could write out beside what you know. In parenthesis, you could put assurance. This is what we are absolutely positively sure of, okay? 
We need this from time to time because uh, as we go through the difficult times in life, sometimes we, we lose our assurance, right? Have you ever had that moment where you look around and say, is God paying attention at all? Am I the only one that feels that way from time to time? Hello, is God there? All right, so we need this assurance. This is an important part. First uh, Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 4 through 7, I think, is where we're going to get through today. Here we go, verse 4. We know, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, they say, We know, dear brothers and sisters, that God loves you and has chosen you to be his own people. That's good. Verse 5. For when we brought you the good news, it was not only with words, but also with what? Power. For the Holy Spirit gave you full assurance. So wait for you to get your brain around that. You didn't see whenever Paul went and he preached to them, they didn't leave church saying, well, I don't know if that's true or not. I don't think about it. I have to look at my notes again and pray about that. No, nope. the Holy Spirit gave them full assurance of what he said was true. And you know, so first he says we know, now he says, and you know of our concern for you from the way we lived when we were with you. Now we're going to go through this kind of slow uh, because there's just so many great things going on in these two verses. We're going to start with the we know part. He says, we know, dear brothers and sisters. Now, you, you probably know that the literal translation never includes uh, sisters. It's always just brothers. But then uh, there are translations, they broaden it to dear brothers and sisters. It's worth mentioning that Paul is writing to a mixed group of people. We talked about this a little bit last week, where you have some Jews and you have some Gentiles in this area. These Gentiles were formerly pagans. So the Jews, they would have practiced Judaism, but these Gentiles that were there, uh, they'd been into some kind of strange things. So then Paul writes to them, calling them brothers and sisters. This is noteworthy because we have Paul, the Apostle Paul, right? And he says, brothers and sisters, he, he makes them part of his family, part of his church family. It's an intimate term. You're close to me. So Paul refers to the believers, both Jews and Gentiles in Thessalonica, as brothers several times throughout this letter. It's not just at the introduction. Uh, in that time and place, in the then and there when this was written, it would have been unheard of to have called a foreigner of any sort brother. Are you with me? It was a racial thing. You don't call a foreigner brother. Now, for Paul to call another Jew brother, that would make sense. But for Paul to call a Gentile brother, not going to happen. Okay? So he's writing to a mixed group of people, brothers. In the Christian church, from the very beginning, they referred to each other as brothers or brothers and sisters. It was very common. Because it gives us the picture of family. Church is not just a superficial organization of people who show up at the same time and place on Sunday morning and sing the same songs. This is a church family. So, so from the very beginning of Christianity, referring to each other as brother, very uh, intimate. Okay? So first Paul addresses Jews and Gentiles alike as brothers and sisters. Then Paul, Silas, and Timothy, they say... Uh, that they know, 
Here's, here's where we start getting into the, the meat of what's happening here. He says, we know that God, what is first? Loves you. We just sing about that, huh? God, we know that God loves you and has, number two, chosen you to be his own people. Now, this is a theme that we see throughout Scripture. Here again, this means less to you and I right now today than it did to the people that Paul was addressing. The, the Jews, the Jewish believers, they have lost their place among God's chosen people of the Old Testament. Are you following me? The Jewish believers, they've given up on their, they've given up to a large degree on their Judaism, and now they've become identified with this sect of followers of Christ. So they're, they were the people of, of Israel. They were the Jews, the chosen people of God. Now they're not. So they've kind of lost their place. And then you have the Greeks, the previously pagan Gentiles. They're searching for their place in the church or in the kingdom of God as well because you can imagine they feel out of place. Like a dill pickle at a, so, at a, at a kosher wedding, right? For those of you who know what kosher is. Like a milk pail under a bull. I'll think of another one here in a minute. I can't. They say, no, please keep moving on. Uh, they were not Jews. They were, had this very different background. And then they come to church and, and it's this Christ and they've, they've, they've abandoned their, their background and they've abandoned it's just it's this strange group of people. So Paul says, he says, brothers, we know to this group of Jews and Gentiles that are kind of displaced, trying to find their place in church and in the body of Christ and in their faith and in society as well, we know that God loves you and has chosen you to be His own people. Can you kind of feel what those people would feel? Have you ever felt like you just lost your place in life? You just need somebody to say, hey, you're part of us. You're part of this group. You are accepted. We do love you. We want you here. Part of the reason we come to church, we like that feeling. Paul writes to this group of people just to tell them, hey, we know, we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God loves you and has chosen you. Tremendous declaration. Now, we could get really detailed and look at the extent of God's love. Well, how much does God love these people? And we could look at to what degree God chooses people, but that's not at all what the point of the text is. The text Paul is writing to them to assure this group of people. It's not a comprehensive teaching on God's love and, and the foreknowledge or, or the sovereignty of God. It's not. He's writing to them to say, hey, you're nervous about how you fit into this. We know Paul, Silas, and Timothy as authorities in Scripture and the Holy Spirit and Christianity. We're writing to you to say, we know that God loves you. Calm down. God loves you, and he has chosen you to be a part of his family, to be his own people. That would be reassuring. Amen? amen. Yes, that's true. Good job. Good amen. These believers who have abandoned their families and their traditions are needing some kind of assurance that they are not simply afterthoughts of God's grand plan. They are legitimate objects of God's love. Are you with me? 
God the Father has specifically selected them to reveal himself to and to bring them into a right relationship with himself to belong to him. It's a little picture of God's grace in that short verse. Paul, Silas, and Timothy say, we know that God loves you and has chosen you to be his own people because this is how we know that this is true. Now, I'm glossing over really fast, and I'm not making the application to you. I'm hoping that you can figure this out. Listen, if you're not sure where you belong, it's a great message to you and I. God loves you, and you, he has chosen to make you belong into the family of God. I like that. Uh, it's reassuring to me. I hope that it's reassuring to you. So Paul writes this. He says, we know, we're confident of this, that God loves you and that you are chosen to be his own people because, verse 5, when we brought you the good news, when we brought you the gospel of Jesus Christ, it was not only with words, of course they spoke the words, but it was also with what? Power. Power. So it wasn't just academic. It wasn't just, I'm teaching you what the Bible says or what, what Christianity is about. And if you like it, great. If you don't, it's no big deal. It was with words and it was with power. For the Holy Spirit gave you what? Full assurance that what we said was true. These people are the chosen church of God. God the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, in verse 1, we just read it, not merely because Paul, Silas, and Timothy came and preached the gospel to them. This is not simply a coincidence of being in the right place at the right time in Thessalonica. This is not a work of Paul and Silas and Timothy. The church at Thessalonica exists because the gospel was presented with power and the work of the Holy Spirit in people's minds and their hearts and their souls. See, the gospel is not just academic. It's a work of the Holy Spirit in us to transform us, to Give us to, to rebirth us, to regenerate us, to transform us. Yeah. The Holy Spirit himself assured the people at Thessalonica that this message of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ is the truth. We live in a time where there's all of this information coming across our eyeballs and our ears. We hear so many things going on. We have to figure out, we have to discern what is true and what is not true. What is reality and what's not reality. We have to figure it all out. And Paul's telling him, say, hey, we didn't just bring you a message and say, hope you believe it. We brought you a message and the Holy Spirit supernaturally affirmed it in your hearts wasn't just by chance. So, this is what we know. We know, number one, that God loves you. We know, number two, that God chose you. Now, you can take that to the bank. Does that make you feel some assurance to know that, that God loves you? We sing about it, and sometimes we're like, oh, Brent, you don't know what I've been doing this week. I don't know if God can love me. His love is pretty powerful. We know that God chose you. And we know this to be true 
Because the Holy Spirit himself has powerfully given you complete confidence that the gospel message is truth. You didn't believe because there was a great orator. You didn't believe because the message was delivered correctly or eloquently, hopefully. You believed because the Holy Spirit worked powerfully in your heart, assuring you that this message was truth. This is what we know, okay? We, we need to know every once in a while. We just need to know what we know. This is the foundation. I know some of you are looking at me and you're saying, well, Brent, this is church. This is for the saints. This is for the believers. We already know that God loves us and we know that God chose us and we, we do believe in salvation. So let's move on forward. This is what you know Paul's going to tell us. He says, and you know of our concern for you from the way we lived when we were with you. Okay, are you, are you with me? Listen carefully. You know of our concern for you. The church at Thessalonica, you know that Paul and Timothy and Silas, that we were concerned for you. You know that that is true because you watched the way we lived with you. The gospel message was not only validated by the power of the Holy Spirit, it was also validated by the genuine concern that Paul, Silas, and Timothy showed while they lived in Thessalonica. It's not terribly profound, but it's really, really good. Yeah, it's not a wow moment, it's a oh my moment. There is a difference in wanting people to believe like you and wanting, to people, wanting people to belong to God. There's a difference between wanting people to believe like you where we coerce them into you have to agree with me as opposed to wanting people to belong to God. Are you with me? There's a difference in trying to persuade people to your way of thinking and being genuinely concerned for their eternal well-being. We kind of have gotten away from it in church. I think that probably through the 80s, maybe the early 90s, uh, we, in the 70s, we had this, uh, there, there, was, there were little pockets of people through, throughout Christianity that were just out there to be very persuasive, to argue with everybody about Christianity. And, and if you have any intelligence at all, you'll believe in Jesus. And we, we just, you know, they're, they're, we got branded the Bible thumpers because you just, here it is, and you have to believe. And if you don't believe, you're inferior. And what kind of idiot doesn't believe in Jesus? Well, I feel the love, man. And it wasn't accepted. It wasn't received. Well, duh! Nobody wants to be beat over the head, even with the truth. So when Paul goes, he says, you guys, we brought you the truth in word, but it was validated by the power of the Holy Spirit. And you know that it was validated because we showed genuine concern for you. There's a difference in wanting people to attend your church and wanting people to be loved and chosen by God. You see the difference? 
There's a difference between badgering and being concerned. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, they lived their lives in such a way that their lives, not just their words, made a deep impression on the hearers there at Thessalonica. It's not just what you believe, it is very much about the way you live. Some of us have got our theology perfect. We've not got our action and attitude right. That's a problem. Amen, Brent, that's good preaching. Okay, <laughs> got serious all of a sudden. The text, he says, We know, dear brothers and sisters, that God loves you and has chosen you to be his very own people. Verse 5, For when we brought you the good news, it was not only with words, but also with power. For the Holy Spirit gave you full assurance that what we said was true, and you know of our concern for you from the way we lived when we were with you. So number one was we know what we know. We know. Assurance. Number two, what you did. So this was Paul's looking back. He's kind of recapping his experience when he's in Thessalonica. So what these people did. So we had assurance, now we have action. Okay? So in parentheses, you can put action. Because of that assurance of the Holy Spirit and the concern that you were shown, this is what you did, Paul is saying to them. So make sure you get your mind around this. Verse 6. He says, so, so, because of the previous two verses, so... You received the message with what? Joy. From the Holy Spirit. In spite of the severe suffering it brought you, in this way you imitated both us and the Lord. I love these parts of Scripture. So... On Sunday morning, I don't know if you guys noticed, but uh, I pay attention that, that from, from the time we hit the door at, uh, at 8.45, 8.30, we come in and a few people arrive, you kind of start getting a vibe for how, how people are feeling, and it is weather-driven, by the way. It's, it's really bad that we are so easily affected by the weather, but the fact of the matter is that if it's sunny and bright and wonderful outside, then we tend to come in and be cheerful. If it's been snowing and raining and sleeting when it should be sunny, then, then even this morning, service tends to be a little more subdued, right? It's just, it's just people, I mean, I, it's, it's, so, it's even such a true phenomenon that there's been times that I've talked to my brother or my sister or whoever that live in other parts of the country, and they will say, yeah, our service was just very subdued today. It's just the nature of people. Whatever. It doesn't make any difference. But the fact of the matter is, here in verse 6, he says, so you receive the message, the gospel, with joy from the Holy Spirit in spite of the severe suffering that it brought you. In this way, you imitated both us and the Lord. This gospel message brought them, hang on to your chairs because this is going to mess with some of your theology, because some of you came to Christ because you thought that this was, Jesus was going to make your life perfect, right? He's going to make life everything. Every day was going to be sunshine. Yeah. The gospel message brought this group of people Severe suffering. Yet they received it with joy because the Holy Spirit brought them joy. That is what they did. They received it and they had joy. It's pretty simple. 
They didn't complain. They didn't negotiate. They received the gospel message in spite of the suffering that it caused them. Now, can you imagine in a marketing campaign for Desert Heights Church that we start putting out videos on Facebook or out on the sign and uh, it says, come to Christ and be uh, and, and suffer? Exclamation point. Hallelujah. No way, man. But that's what was happening to this group of people. They knew that if they committed their lives to this this cultic group of Christians, of God-fearers, that they were going to be persecuted. They were going to suffer severely. Come to Jesus. It's going to be terrible. Hallelujah. I'm in. We stay stick to your notes, Brent. There's a reason for writing them. They received the gospel message in spite of the suffering that it brought to them. They're accepting Christ Jesus as their Savior initiated suffering in their lives, but they received joy from the Holy Spirit. So, so the picture that just keeps bouncing around in my mind is Paul and Silas, you know, in Acts, when, when they get arrested for preaching the gospel, and they get put into prison, and they're in the bonds, and they're all strapped down, and, and Paul is like, hey, Silas, you want to sing? And Silas is like, well, we got nothing else to do. So then they're singing, oh, happy day, happy day. And, you know, they see the world will look at us and we'll say, well, you guys are crazy. But we'll see through the rest of 1 Thessalonians why. We'll see. We already saw last week that this group of people, they had an enduring hope. Why is that important? Because they were enduring some suffering, some severe suffering. They were enduring some garbage, but they still had hope. They still had joy, not given to them by the circumstances of this life, because circumstances of this life are not going to give you joy. They'll give you a temporary dose of happiness, but that's quickly faded, right? The Holy Spirit gives us joy so that even whenever we're suffering some severe uh, uh, suffering, Yeah, that's redundant, isn't it? Uh, Suffering, severe suffering for the Savior. Just saying. Uh, I'm distracted. I think most of us, uh, just forget it. I think most of us, if not all of us, are incredibly spoiled here in America. We are. Uh, We're we're just incredibly spoiled. Whenever I received the gospel message, uh, it was... uh, I, I, I very little suffering, right, if any at all. In fact, I was raised in a church where we celebrated people for receiving the message and believing in Christ Jesus. I kind of doubt that there's anybody in this room that, that, was, that really had severe suffering. Did some people disapprove of you becoming a Christian? Probably. But I don't know of anybody that was beaten or held at gunpoint and threatened to be killed because they put their faith in Christ. We just don't live in that in, in Farmington, at least. We celebrate people coming to salvation. We celebrate people receiving the message of Jesus Christ. In fact, this morning we're going to have a, a baptism service, and that is to celebrate the salvation of, of people. I'd venture to guess that none of us have suffered severely because of our faith. Suffered a little bit? Yes. I know, I know. Making it to church like four, sometimes five times a a month is really suffering for Jesus. 
And then Brent has the audacity. He wants us here on Sunday morning to hear him preach. And then he wants us to bring our kids on Wednesday night so that our kids get Jesus too. And then that he wants us to come to life groups where we can fellowship with other believers and be nice. <laughs> Share the joy. <laughs> like three times a week we have to be with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Oh, <laughs> oh it's so hard to be a believer. Uh, so this came across my email this week, so I have to put it in. I don't put jokes in my sermons very often anymore, or at least not ones that come to me anyway. Um, I joke around a lot, but uh, this came across my desk, and it was just fitting, so I'm going to read it to you. It's, uh, it's the most strange reasons to not attend church. And by the way, uh, this came to me. I did not make up this list, so if you are on this list, I'm sorry. Uh, I didn't do it. Somebody else did it, all right? The first one was, we are out of peanut butter. You know, no one can come to worship without their peanut butter fix. Uh, one person said, I was, watch this, this is so, this is, I think this is hysterical. Said, this, these are things that were actually told to pastors, by the way. And pastors never lie or exaggerate. This person said, I was too drunk, so I went soul winning with my dog Rambo. I was too drunk to come to church. I went to the park and told him about Jesus with my dog. <laughs> really? <laughs> oh, my goodness. This one's good. I have heard a, uh, a version of this one. Both of my girlfriends attend that church. <laughs> Buddy, you got different problems than being at church. <laughs> Both of your girlfriends. Oh, the worship leader pulls up his pants too often. It's distracting. <laughs> Close your eyes, man. <laughs> My kids take naps during that time. <laughs> Let's go hear about eternal life and God the Father who chose you and died for you, shed his blood. Or let the kids nap. Let's just nap. It's, it's not important. They're going to preach out of the Bible next week again anyway. Gas prices are too high. I've heard that before. I always have enough gas to get to McDonald's, never enough gas to get to church. Anyway, um, I have a really good friend. He started giving people gas cards so they couldn't use that, that excuse. You know, I don't have gas to get to church. Well, here, here's gas on me. Now you can come to church. Oh, but I don't have any peanut butter. <laughs> Uh, this was funny. My wife cooked bacon for breakfast, and the entire family smelled like bacon, so we couldn't come to church. <laughs> what? You smelled like bacon? You should have come. We would have loved it. <laughs> it would have been like, hey, brother, how you doing? <laughs> Man, I like that new cologne. That's good. Uh, I love you so much, I could eat you. <laughs> Put you in a breakfast burrito. The pastor, here's another one. The pastor stays in the Bible too much. <laughs> uh, I've noticed that too. Just what does he think he's doing? Just every, every time he finishes one book, he starts another. <laughs> when can we just do something other than scripture? <gasps> I, can't get, I can't get the lid off the peanut butter. Wow, I, I just didn't know that peanut butter was such an obstacle to getting church to church. I don't understand that because we, we moved into our house eight years ago. We still have that same jar of peanut butter. It's going to last. Probably can't get the, the lid off. Uh, anyway, we, this is a good one. Uh, this one's a little close to home. Heard 
certain versions of this one. We got burned out at church, and we've been taking a break for the past seven years. <laughs> yeah, you just, you know, those people are all nice, and they want to give me coffee, and they just want to sit and visit and ask me how I'm doing and pray for my problems. And then Brent wants to tell us that we're loved by God and chosen for his kingdom. It really wears on you. It's just too much. I need a break. Oh, Lord, give me patience. Uh, uh, someone called me, this one just fit, fit into the text today, so someone called me brother instead of using my name. At least they didn't call you sister. Uh, all right, yeah, yeah it's, no, we're not persecuted, we're not suffering. You know, God loves us, He chose us, you have, you have an elite life, you do. The church at Thessalonica, they suffered severely because of their faith. Yet they received the gospel with joy. That's what they did. Being filled with God's eternal life and the joy of the Holy Spirit doesn't make you crabby. It must have been in the delivery. Let's try it again. Being filled with God's eternal life. And the joy of the Holy Spirit, it doesn't make you crabby. <laughs> well, I'd argue that does too. <laughs> well, I have visitors' packets to some other churches. I'll give them to you after service. Don't act lifeless. Don't act mad. Live with some joy as though you have been called to participate in God's kingdom and God's life. Can you get your brain around that? That's fantastic. There's no other group of people on this planet that live with the hope that Christians do. That's, that's what the Bible says. The church should not be characterized as grumpy people, but it should be filled with joy by the power of the Holy Spirit. Not by joy, not, not filled with joy because things are good. That's not at all what I'm saying. I'm saying joy because we have the Holy Spirit, because we have hope in eternal life, because we have the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, because we know that one day we'll be resurrected, because Jesus was resurrected. By the way, if you haven't been to see the case for Christ, you've got to go see the movie. I don't know if it's still at the theater, but you've got to go see it. It's not getting a bunch of bad publicity. It's not getting any good publicity, but it's a fantastic movie. You ought to read the book. I read it back uh, when I was right out of college. Fantastic. Take all of your friends. Go see The Case for Christ. It's uh, Well, I can't take time to tell you what it's about. You're going to have to go. All right? Spoiler alert. Number one, what we know. We're assured. Number two, what they did or what you did. Action. And here's what the results were. Here's the outcome, okay? We need a positive outcome. First Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 7, he says, As a result, as a result of the things we knew, as a result of the things we did, as a result, you have become an example to all the believers in Greece throughout both Macedonia and Achaia. As a result of receiving the message of salvation with joy from the Holy Spirit, follow me, I'm coming to the end. As a result of receiving salvation with joy from the Holy Spirit in spite of severe suffering, like Jesus did and like the Apostle Paul and Silas did, the church in Thessalonica has become an example to all believers. I think that that's pretty cool. 
A church that really is like a city set on a hill that other churches look at and they say, this group of people are severely suffering, yet they are filled with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Their hope endures because they understand the big picture of eternity. They're not getting all drugged down because, well, that Jewish guy called me brother. I'm not his brother. They're not getting sidetracked and distracted by all the nonsense of this world. They're just focusing their eyes on Jesus, living with the joy of the Holy Spirit, loving life, and living a life that is a model to other churches. That's pretty incredible. Now, I'm going to sidetrack for just a second, but it's a good sidetrack. Now, if you go through the DHC Essentials class, our Desert Heights Church Essentials, on Sunday mornings at 9 o'clock, Chaz is teaching it right now, you'll learn what we have called the Illuminate concept. It is simply this, that you, watch this, you are responsible to influence with Christ those closest to you first. Okay, so it it starts, it starts with Christ in you first. If you don't have Christ in you, you're not going to influence anybody else with Christ. It doesn't work that way. You can't give what you don't have right? I'd give you a million bucks, but I don't have a million bucks. I don't, well, anyway, it's a whole nother story. It starts with Christ in you first. And then it reminds me of this song that we sang. I sang whenever I was in children's church. It's, if you're saved and you know it. Yeah. And then there's a part that says, then your life will surely show it. Yeah. Hey, there's good theology there. It really is in children's church. Good theology. If you're saved and you know it, then your life will surely show it. The first person it's going to show it to is your spouse. Your spouse should be the first person in your life. You guys should be bracing yourself, by the way. Your spouse should be the first person in your life to recognize the joy of the Holy Spirit exemplified in you. Larry got it. You mean I have to be nice to my wife? Your spouse is the one who knows you best. You can put on a big face for the rest of us, but if you can't exemplify and demonstrate and model the joy of the Holy Spirit when you're alone with your spouse, you probably ought to recheck uh, your salvation situation. Yeah. Your children, after your spouse, your children should notice that you exemplify joy even when things don't go your way. Your church family should be able to see joy in your life. Don't look around right now. (laughs) Your church family. Oh... Yeah, because we watch each other, right? We watch each other when we're at church, and when we're at church, we're on. So we behave ourselves, for the most part, at church. It's whenever we run into people out in public or on the internet. You know, social media is a great thing because we all know how you really are. <laughs> oopsie doozy. Yeah, your church family should be able to see joy in your life. Then, then the community should, should see churches that are filled with the joy of the Holy Spirit, not a bunch of grumpy people who are playing dead. 
Not a bunch of people who say that we're filled with the eternal resurrection life of Jesus Christ, but dadgum, I'm going to stink and smell rotten like a dead person. No, that's, that's not at all the model church. The model church is filled with joy and very much alive. Hurry up, Brent. Even though the church at Thessalonica suffered severely because of their faith in Jesus, their joy became the example to follow all across Macedonia and Achaia. Uh, if you are filled with eternal life, your life will exemplify eternal life to those around you. Give those, I'm saying this very intentionally, give those that you love, those that are closest to you, give those that you love a life worth imitating. I wasn't going to take time, but I'm just going to do it. Gentlemen, as a priest of our home, there's a whole bunch of people in our house, that's watching our lives. We can say, well, my wife is the spiritual one, so my kids will follow my wife. God didn't set it up that way. You are the leader of your home. You are the spiritual leader of the home. If you're a bad leader, that's on you, but you're the leader. You cannot abdicate your example to your spouse. You cannot abdicate your example to the children's ministry leader not my job. It's not Camille's job. It's nobody's job. You had them. They're your problem. <laughs> you can't give it up. It's not. You are the one who sets an example for your family. And I heard someone say that if, as a leader, if you don't like where your followers are at, change where you're leading them. Genius. Open that peanut butter earlier on Sunday morning. <laughs> I believe in you. I believe in the power of the Holy Spirit to get your peanut butter and your car going. Goodness. From last week, verse 3, he says the result is a, is a life of faithful works, loving deeds, and enduring hope. This is a life worthy of imitating, a life worthy of God's calling. This is the life that as believers, we should be looking for evidence of these things in our lives. And when there's not evidence of these things in our lives, we say, Lord Jesus, I'm in the wrong somewhere. I need your Holy Spirit to work in my life so that I exemplify faithful works, loving deeds, and enduring hope because I want to live a life worth imitating because I want all of those that I love to be able to imitate my life. Because I want them to not just believe like I do. I want them to be loved by God and chosen by God. Are you with me? It's a good sermon. All right, let's bow our heads together and pray. Josh Valdez is going to come up and talk about water baptism for a couple of minutes while I rush and go change clothes, and then we're going to do a water baptism. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your mercy and your grace. We thank you that you are a loving God. We thank you that we have great assurance in the salvation message. We thank you that we have because of the Holy Spirit in us, that we can act according to the life that you've given us, that you have put in us. Father, I pray that, that the world will see the outcome, that they'll see the results of your eternal life in us. Lord, I pray that you will enable us to live a life worth imitating to our spouse, to our children, to our church, to our community. Father, don't let us fall short of living full of your joy, living full of your eternal life 
and being able to share your grace and the message of Jesus Christ with the power of the Holy Spirit with other people. Help us to be a city set on a hill. Help us to shine the light of Jesus to those who need to know you. Father, I just thank you for this church family, for the brothers and sisters that we have in Christ Jesus. God, be glorified in all that we do. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.